Welcome to episode two of the Category Mistake. I'm your host, Richard Mariello. This week, the plan was simple. I was going to talk about Hamilton. I was going to talk about The Sound of Music and how both of these are beautiful as musicals and maybe a little catchy and, you know, the hills are alive with not throwing away my shot. I had this whole plan. I was good. I was ready to go. I was enthralled to take off some of my children, maybe some of my students. I was there. And then, well, the president and our country decided to change my plans. I'm not going to be political. I don't care what side of the aisle or if you're even in an aisle. Don't care. What I care about is my personal experiences because that's what this is all about, right? This has nothing to do with, you know, who's the 45th, 46th, 50th president, who's running the Congress or the Senate or the House, who's on the Supreme Court. That's not really what I'm here about. You know, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to give you what's on my mind and how I see things. A little backstory. In 1999, I joined the Army. I was sitting on my couch watching a football game. Be all you can be in the Army. Said to my wife after three kids, I'm like, hey, I'm not going anywhere with my life. I need to do something better. So I joined the Army. Go to base training. Go to AIT. Get all trained up. I get out of the Army. I get out because my wife had a medical issue. Uh, Red Cross wavered. Government said, thank you for your service. See ya. 2009. 2009, yeah, it'd be 2009. I decided to rejoin. Now, this was after a little coaxing from my children. Um, one of them in particular basically gave me the whole, well, you didn't finish when you started. All that garbage, you know, as a parent, you hear that from your kids because you always tell that to your kids and they always get old enough to where they come back at you and they tell you the same thing that you told them. I love it. Um, and I said, well, you know, I can't go back in. I can't. I can't do it. They won't let me in. And of course, my children, being my children, people I love, um, well, did you try? Did you talk to this person? Did you talk to this person? So, of course, I knew people. I didn't want to know people, but I knew people. And I go and I go to my local senator's office. I basically say, hey, this is what I want to do. No, it's not going to happen because I already went to the recruiter and the recruiter kind of laughs. Uh, no, uh, the code you got out of doesn't even exist anymore. Sorry. And I'm like, okay, good. I'm good. I don't have to do this. Went to the senator's office and like, eh, you know, that's kind of a weird suggestion. So I said, write it up. Tell us da, 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 all that jazz. Yeah. I'll do the whole Seinfeld thing, yada, yada, yada. I get an approval. I'm at work, get a call from a general at Fort Drum, New York. He says, welcome back to the Army. So I go in. I go back to training. Now, I didn't go to, to go to basic training, thank God, because I'm too old for that. But I went and got retrained. So my original job was as a medic, um, fixing people, right? That's medical, medic, medical. My next job, when I first signed up for it, I'm like, the number, because that's how the military does it, by number, the number used to be medical. So I signed on the dotted line, not listening, because I was an idiot. I signed up to be a generator mechanic and electrician. Now, generators, 
people, not the same thing. All right, so I go to a training in Virginia. I learn how to do generators really, really well. I know I learn how to do wiring really, really well. I'm older than everybody else there. Okay, it's great. It's amazing. What I discovered is that I'm really kind of good at it. Um, it comes naturally. The problem solving that's involved is natural. It's kind of easy for me. So I get home in late August. I report to my unit and the woman at my unit who's kind of like in charge of everything, uh, she's like, hey, uh, call your wife. Have her come over. Come here tomorrow. Now, if you've ever been in the service and they tell you to call your wife or your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or, you know, the, your baby mom or whatever it is, um, and they say, hey, uh, come down tomorrow, usually not a good thing, okay? It's never a good thing. So I go in. Go in next day. And there's some woman there. I have no idea who she is. Later on, I find out who she is. So, good lady. Um, she works for the unit upstairs. So there's three units in this building. And I belong to the downstairs unit. And, and there's two units upstairs. And she belongs to the unit upstairs. And she's like, hey, we're getting ready to mob now. I had no idea what MOBE was. Um, again, not a G.I. Joe, not gung-ho. I'm not a big soldier boy. I kind of signed up to do my time and get out, right? Uh, keep my kids quiet. And she's like, we need your skills. We need someone who can do your job. Um, so here's the plan. We are going to cross-level you. Go ahead. Cross-level. Not like cross-training. No, what that means is they're going to have me switch into their unit for their MOBE. So, of course, my wife's looking at me going, what's a MOBE? And I'm like, I don't know. So I asked the UA, the unit administrator, and she's like, they're deploying, and they want you to go with them. Now, I'm not an idiot. I joined in 99. I was there for 2001. I get that when you're in the military, war happens. I do. I do. Crazy thought, I know. I get that if you sign that dotted line with your fingerprints, your DNA, and all that jazz, things like going to war are going to happen. I get it. I understand. So I mobilized with the unit upstairs. Now, I had asked a stupid question. I said, well, what if I don't want to? And they said, well, you have two options. You can volunteer or we can volunteer you. So I volunteered. Maybe I should have played the whole like chicken game with the United States Army, but I don't think I would have won that one. I'm pretty sure I would have lost. And it probably would have been kind of ugly. Um, so I went. And I did the MOB. We went to Wisconsin in the wintertime. It was great. I learned... A lot of things about myself, even before I deployed, um, I learned that you know, I can adapt to many situations. I learned that I don't like shooting a 50 caliber machine gun. I learned that I don't like the cold because Wisconsin in the wintertime, cold. 
I also realized and learned that being older than everybody else in a unit that you're working with is a two-edged sword. One, they all think you're more responsible than they are. But two, they also think you will tattle on them when they do something stupid. Now, I wasn't more responsible than most of them. And I never tattled. But just being older, they thought I did. I use that to my advantage sometimes. And sometimes I hated it because they all thought I was, you know, the sergeant major's pet. Anyway, so we, we mob, we come home right before Christmas. We go back to Fort McCoy, Wisconsin, right after Christmas to deploy. We do more training. We do our last will and testaments, power of attorneys, all that jazz. We get to Afghanistan. I have been to many poor places in America. <laughs> I mean, I've been to a lot of crazy places in America. But when I got there, it wasn't just the poverty, the destruction, the smell. I felt like I was in a bad movie. My first visuals of Afghanistan was not... They weren't positive at us all, at all. Then they take you to classes when you get overseas. At least they did for us in 2011. It might have been different in the last couple of years. The first couple of days, they walk you around and you're in this closed area. They basically say, okay, everything in here could be a bomb. So have situational awareness. So the first time you're driving outside the outside the compound, you're looking at everything like it's a bomb. That dog, a bomb. That paperclip, a bomb. Literally, everything could be a bomb, and you freak out. The problem is that everything could be a bomb. And that's a little scary to think of. By week two in Afghanistan, Week two, I had changed my mind on the country. The people were great. The Afghanis just wanted the world to stop trying to kill them. If you would think about their poor history since the 1970s, Russia tries to kill them. Americans help to kick the Russians out. The Americans leave, the Russians leave, the Taliban comes in. What do they do? They try to kill them. And then the Americans come in to stop the Taliban. All the big bad leaders of the Taliban leave the country. We kill Osama bin Laden in 2011. The big bad guy, right? It's funny, we kill him and people are emailing me going, you're coming home soon. I didn't come home early because Osama bin Laden died. The people just wanted to be left alone to do the best they could for their families. They didn't care about who was in power. They cared about feeding their families. And I think I, I, I think I got a new perspective when I looked at their world 
as a parent, not as a soldier. If a bad guy, in our world, eyes, bad guys, offered them enough money to feed their family for 10 years to blow up one American truck, and we burnt down their crops because there could have been a terrorist hiding underground, so we're going to blow it up and burn everything to the ground, and they can't feed their family, which one are you going to choose? The people that just destroyed everything or the people paying you cash to blow up the people that just destroyed everything? I mean, it's common sense, right? But again, we are sent there to win the hearts and minds. We kept getting told we're here for the hearts and minds. It was a joke to us. Every time an A-10 flew over with guns blazing, love those planes because they're very they're good at their job guns blazing things are blowing up in the distance every time i thought to myself how are we winning hearts and minds bullets don't win hearts and minds they blow them up again this was not my choice for this podcast this week i had a fun time planned but a couple of days ago We decided as a country, and I say we, even though the president is the ultimate person, um, decided to change the trajectory of Afghanistan. You don't have to. I'm not a Biden supporter. I didn't hate Trump, President Trump. I didn't love him, but I didn't hate him either. I don't hate Biden, President Biden. Sorry, I keep disrespecting the office. I don't hate them. I just think sometimes these people, they get in power and they lose perspective of reality. When you've been either a multi-billionaire or in the elected office for your entire life, You forget sometimes about people who are real. President Trump, for most of his life, has had yes men telling him, yes, Mr. Trump. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Please again, Mr. Trump. Over and over again. Cheats on his wife. It's okay, Mr. Trump. You know, she just wasn't right for you. Second wife. It's okay, Mr. Trump. She just wasn't right for you. I'm not saying it's, you know what? That's his wives, and that's him. That's their life. But normal people don't do what he did. Just like President Clinton. Normal people don't have relationships with their interns and their wives stay with them. It's not normal. Not only is it not normal, you don't get more popular after doing it. If I go up to my wife and say, hey, honey, I had, you know, a relationship with an intern. I'll be lucky to walk out of the house, you know, standing upright. I'll probably be dragged out of the house. And I deserve it. But that isn't how people who are in power live. Okay. So President Biden, going off of a deal that President Trump made pulled 
troops from Afghanistan. He said, I'm going to paraphrase, he said basically the Taliban would take them a while to get organized to take over the country, like 90 days. From the time that he gave up power to when the Taliban took over was like 90 hours. The problem I have is that since 2002, early late 2001, when we went into that country, we said we are there to help the Afghani people feel safe and to protect them. We hired a lot of Afghanis to work for us, to spy for us, to be our you know, people in the field, our man in the chair, as you know, some people would say. And then we left and left them behind. I knew interpreters in Afghanistan. I'm pretty sure the Taliban would not be very happy with them. I don't know what's happening with those interpreters now. Did they get out? Did they not get out? Are they alive? Are they dead? Are they hiding? Are they not hiding? I knew Christians in Afghanistan who had somewhat freedom to do what they wanted in Afghanistan. The Taliban doesn't give them that freedom. If they want to get out or if they try to get out, are they going to get out? Are they free to get out? Watching the news, which is a horrible thing to do, but I love history and I love information, so I watch it from all sources. Um, it doesn't matter if, you know, you can say NBC is left wing and Fox News is right wing. I'll watch all the wings and then I'll read things and try to decipher the information myself because I'm a human being. I can do that. But it doesn't matter if you're left or right wing. Seeing people rush a plane to try to get on it to flee a country. That's bad. That makes us look really bad. And it make me it made me feel horrible. Because these people, for the time I was there, it was my job to protect them. Yes, I was there to protect my fellow soldier, but we were there for the Afghani people. We weren't there. My mission was not to go kill Taliban and Al Qaeda. Okay. I was support. I was building buildings and hooking up electricity and air conditioning and wiring and making sure the trucks worked. That was my job. I didn't want to be a five-star general leading troops into battle. I wanted to be the guy who helped a kid have a light bulb in his room. That's all I wanted. Nothing crazy. I don't want medals. I don't want to be mentioned on a Wheaties box. I don't want to be mentioned in a video game. I don't care. I did this stuff to help the little people. That's it. That's all I did. I wasn't trying to be a hero, and I never wanted to be a hero. I wanted to help people. That's it. But when I watch the news, and I see the people that we promised to help, Throwing children over fences. Running towards moving planes. 
I think to myself, what the hell did we just do? You know, what did we do? What was the point of 20 years if this is how we're going to end it? People are comparing it to Vietnam. It, it really isn't Vietnam. Okay, Vietnam, there was a North Vietnamese, South Vietnamese. There was another country involved before we even got there. Um, and Vietnam, we had lost on the battlefield. Afghanistan, we didn't lose a damn thing. We just gave up. At Vietnam, we were getting our butt handed to us. I'm sorry. My my father was in Vietnam, my stepfather. Um, he was in the Navy. Okay. We weren't winning Vietnam. In Afghanistan, we were not losing. Now, we are at a stalemate. We weren't winning. We weren't losing. We were just keeping status quo. A soldier for the United States had not died in Afghanistan in like a year. A year. I think it was February of 2020, if I remember correctly. In a year, we had kept the status quo. We were training their military. Again, we are training soldiers. We gave them like a trillion dollars worth of equipment. Not a trillion. It's pretty close to a trillion dollars worth of equipment. Trucks, planes, anything that can blow things up and then so to protect themselves. And then we take away all the mechanics <laughs> that maintain those equipment. You know, you can have the best tank in the world, but if it's broken, it doesn't, it's a really big, expensive paperweight. An A-10 Warthog, beautiful plane, beautiful jet, big old gun. If it doesn't get off the ground, what's the point? So I've been wrestling psychologically with myself this week. And my son, um, I have a son who served over there as well. And I have friends who served over there as well with me. And I've been wrestling with it. Because in my mind... I have two different minds. I, I'm a dad, a teacher, a student, a grandfather, husband. That's my one. That's me. But then there's the ex, ex soldier, army, American person over on the other side. And a dad, husband, father, pop, pop, grandfather teacher in me it's like you know what no more u.s citizens should be killed this is a good thing we're going to save probably save some money it'll be good it'll be a good thing good thing but then um and then the soldier slash whatever you want to talk about comes out and He's not happy. He's not. Not at all. Because he dealt with extreme heat. He dealt with bad equipment that would break down because, you know, sand and heat and gunfire. 
Long nights, long days, bad food, sometimes good food, but bad food. That side of me dealt with a lot of crap because I felt like we were there to help the greater good. And within a couple days, the greater good went like, never mind. Your version of the greater good is what we need. Suck it up, cupcake, move on. We're not doing this anymore. And it sucks. Because I have no answer. I'm not going to be like, hey, guys, here's how we fix Afghanistan. Because if you remember earlier, I said, you know, I used to joke, make it a glass parking lot. The reason why I used to joke that, and it's a really bad joke, and I feel horrible about it now, is... Making a glass parking lot means we nuke and kill everybody. Sand gets really hot. Hot sand turns to glass. Boom, done. And it's a horrible way of looking at it. But this this, this region, these people, they have been at war for so long. And for the last year, it hasn't been as crazy for them. And they were, some of them probably were getting used to not having bombs go off every day. Or not being threatened with being beheaded. Or a drone strike coming in, killing them and their children at a wedding. Some of them probably were thinking, I can open a business. I'll open it next to this school. When kids come out of school, maybe they can buy a trinket for me. Yay. I can live a dream where I can support my family. And it's a good thing. And now, well, the Taliban are gathering up reporters, people out of their houses, and killing them in the streets, or making them unalive, or however you want to say it. And instead of the Americans going, we're going to come back and save those people. No, we're protecting the airport, in theory, to get people out. The people that are already there. Kabul Airport. Now, where I was was in Kandahar. Kind of like um, Maine to Virginia. You know, not close. They're not protecting the people in Kandahar who are trying to get to the airport. They're not protecting the people coming from Bagram to Kabul to the airport. They're protecting the airport. No, there's not a lot of them. There's like 5,000 troops. And these guys have a horrible job. These ladies and gentlemen, they have a horrible job. They do. Because no matter what they do, they're going to lose. If they get everybody at Kabul out safely and efficiently, there's still going to be people in Kandahar, Bagram, Azizula who will never get out. They never get out. They're stuck there. They're going to go home. And if they're anything like me or other soldiers, I know they're going to be like, we could have gotten another one. Schindler's List, the movie. At the end, he's like, I could have gotten one more for this, one more for this. That's a real feeling. It's a real feeling 
if you have a heart and you have compassion, it's a real feeling thing. What else could I have done for these people? I spent a lot of time over there with Afghani civilians and interpreters. And some of the times I thought to myself, what are we doing to these people? But they always were happy with it. You know, we had an interpreter. I loved him. He was a great guy. Um, he was picked on by us. He had a horrible uniform. We didn't protect him very well. Um, but he was happy. He was married. He was a Christian, which is weird. He snuck back into the country just to help the Americans. He had escaped during the Taliban rule. He was an Afghani who cared about his people. Did we get his family out? I don't know. The other interpreters, they would they all knew each other. It was weird. It was probably because they're such a small group. Did we get them out? I don't know. The front, the, the cooks, because we didn't actually cook for ourselves in a lot of these big bases. We had Afghanis who came in and cooked for us. Did they get out? I don't know. We had Afghanis who were Muslim, most of them. At Christmas time, carving us nativity scenes out of styrofoam in the mess halls. So we would feel more at home in their country. Did those guys get out? I don't know. And that's the I don't know is what's driving me crazy. I don't know. When I left Afghanistan at the end of 2011... I really thought, okay, they have a shot. We keep on the same path. Osama bin Laden's dead, Taliban, Al-Qaeda, kind of under the radar, kind of hiding in holes right now. You know what? They'll die out. Just, just have to give it time. They'll die out. This can't last forever. Ten years later, Taliban's back, baby. All the way back. They're chilling in the offices of the president. The whole country's taken over by one little airport. And the only country, you know, Iran and Russia are in love with them, which is fine because it's actually not fine. You know what? Because the Russians were trying to invade Afghanistan in the 70s. Heck, the Taliban took out the Russians with the help of the Americans. And now the Russians and the Taliban's, they're like biffles. I don't get it at all. I just don't get it. And China, well, let's be honest. Afghanistan has a huge mountain full of minerals worth like a quadrillion dollars in North Afghanistan, right near China. Um, and the Chinese want them, you know, they want the minerals because they want the money. So, of course, you're going to be biffles with somebody who's got what you need, right? If, you know, your neighbor's sitting on 100 tons of gold, all of a sudden he's your best friend. Hey, Bob, come over for a barbecue. Hey, I see that you look gold there. Must be, must be a lot of work to take care of all that gold. You know, I can help. Have another, you know, 
pork chop. I can help. You know. So today's podcast is simple. If you don't pray, think about Afghanistan. If you pray, pray for Afghanistan. If you pray to Jesus and God, and if you're Jewish, you pray to God, pray for those people. I know. Muslims, Jews, they don't exactly get along great. They haven't for, I don't know, six, 7,000 years. I get that. Delia, Christians, pray for them. Not for their conversion from Muslim, from Islam to Christianity. Pray, <laughs> just, you can't convert somebody to Christianity if they're dead. You can't do it, Okay. You, you can't say, well, I'm praying for their souls to find Jesus. Well, if the Taliban kills them, they won't be able to find Jesus. Okay? It's just not how it works. So let's make sure they live first, and then let's worry about their eternal souls. Because they have to be alive for us to see them. Pray for just the people, the, the people stuck there, the Americans stuck there, the reporters who were stuck there, the health workers, the military who had to go back in, the pilots who I know are not flying normal hours to get these people out at normal occupancy in their planes. Because I've seen the pictures of C-130s full of people way more than there should be. Because these pilots are taking everybody they can fit in their planes and then a few extra. Okay? Pray, think, about the soldiers who spent time there, who lived there, who died there, who got hurt there, who right now are going through so much crap mentally. Because, you know, when you do a job and at the end of the day, you, you, you put everything, everything you have into it. And at the end of the day, you find out not only did it fail, but the people who told you did a good job let it fail on purpose. That's a hard pill to swallow. And again, I don't care about politics in this because President Trump made the deal. Biden made the deal happen. He put it into action actually later than it was originally planned. I think the way he did it, he should have gotten people out. He should have kept the mechanics there for the equipment. He should have maybe kept the army there in smaller doses to protect the mechanics and the equipment. And then when everybody's on their feet, the equipment can be used that they have there. They know how to maintain it and use it. And the soldiers feel confident protecting themselves against the bad guys of the equipment that you gave them. Then you leave fully. You don't leave and then go, wait a minute. I think we did this in the wrong order. Okay. I know some of my soldier friends out there. Right now they're kind of pissed, sad, angry. They're... they're they're having a lot of issues right now, okay? I'm here. I mean, you can leave a comment. You can 
I don't know exactly know how you can contact me. You can find a way of contacting me. I bet there's a way. Contact one of your old battles. Contact your family. Talk to somebody. When this first happened, all these people I know called me, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I kind of went, yep, 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 yep. Then I finally talked to somebody that I was closer to mentally, physically, spiritually, you know. Are you okay? No, I'm not okay. And I let it out. And now I'm letting it out here. So next week, <laughs> unless something crazier happens in this week, I'll be going over some more lighthearted material. It should be fun. And I hope that you're here to join me. Let me know what you think, guys. Let me know if you know, this resonates. And you know, if you completely blatantly disagree with me, let me know. Because again, like I said the first time, second time, now the third time, we can't learn from one another if we don't talk to one another. And I think talking to one another is what this country needs more than anything. I'll talk to you guys all next week.